This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec, the place to stay updated and educated. Tech Guide episode 406. Hello and welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me once again and welcome to any first time listeners. My name is Stephen Fennec. I'm the editor of techguide.com.au. On this week's show, the $51 billion NBN rollout is complete, but a new report shows we are still way behind other countries. We go through the biggest announcements from Apple's Worldwide Developers Conference and why young people are being targeted in tax time online scams. In the Tech Guide reviews, we'll take a look at the Sony WH-CH710N noise-cancelling headphones, the Space Talk Life smartphone watch designed just for seniors, and we'll talk about the Moshi adapter that can put the content from your laptop and mobile device on your television. And we'll answer all your tech questions as well in the Tech Guide Help Desk. And it's all brought to you by Netgear, the company that keeps you connected, and Norton, the company that keeps you protected. Well, the 10-year NBN rollout is due to be completed this week. That's what they're saying, $51 billion. The NBN rollout began in 2010 and will be completed in a matter of days. So the $51 billion that's spent, that's taxpayer dollars, works out to be, if you average out each connection, it works out to be $4,500 per premises. Now, a lot of people will be wondering, are we getting our money's worth there? 4500 per home. And that isn't even giving us the, the initial plan was fibre to every home. So I just imagine that 4500 per home would probably double, at least if it's fibre to the premises, every, every place in Australia. That's the reason uh, the, that was the uh, alarm bells that rang when Malcolm Turnbull as communications minister when the Liberal government came into power in 2013, he pulled the handbrake pretty hard and decided to change all of that and create this this cocktail of technologies which still includes copper in a lot of the in a lot of the connections. I hear a lot of people grumbling about this to this very day. A lot of people aren't happy with how the NBN has turned out. But $51 billion later. It is nearly complete. But a new report's just been released from the Telecommunications Association uh, in association with Huawei Australia. We'll talk about why they're, they're involved in a moment. But they're saying that the while, while the, the completion is literally days away, we are still a lot far, far behind, a lot way behind the rest of the world in terms of average speeds. And in particular gigabit speeds now the whole idea when the nbn was was thought of uh many believe on the back of a coaster but when the initial idea for the nbn came into kevin rudd's head back in 2007 or whatever it was his initial his initial plan was to have fiber everywhere it's fiber or nothing and with that in mind fiber is the sort of technology that can be it's kind of future-proof. It's it's gonna, it could be ramped up to faster speeds. Now, as as we began our journey on the NBN, 
the, the maximum speed up until only recently was 100 megabits per second. Now, a few weeks ago, we spoke about the new faster plans that are available to certain customers that will allow speeds of up to 250 megabits per second, and some can even achieve 1,000 megabits per second, which is gigabit speed. So that's 1,000 megabits per second or a gigabit per second. Now, this report has found that despite all the money we've paid and that 4,500 per premises that it cost, that more than 70% of homes will still not be able to access gigabit speeds. And that was part of the story we spoke about a few weeks ago. You needed to be fibre to the premises uh, or HFC customer, so that type of connection in your home, to be able to receive it. Now, according to this report, that was uh, it's called the Gigabit Gap Report, which is put together by Huawei and the, and the Telecommunications Association, TELSOC for short, they said that after 10 years of construction of the NBN, only 28% of premises can access gigabit speeds using either fibre to the premises or fibre to the curb. Now, this goes against what was said a few weeks ago, where I was under the impression that fibre to the premises or HFC, as I mentioned a moment ago, were the two technologies that would allow you to achieve gigabit speeds. If fibre to the curb is capable of gigabit speeds, I'm really happy about that because that's what I've got here. In my home here in Sydney, I've got fibre to the curb, which means there's fibre running up along the footpath from the pit to my house, the telecommunications pit, the telco pit, the telecom pit, I think they call it. That's copper line coming from the pit to my home. It's about eight metre run of copper. So according to this report, fibre to the curb should be able to achieve gigabit speeds as well. But that 28% figure of homes today that can get gigabit or at the in completion at completion is way behind the rest of the world uh, the that puts us way down the list of other countries we're, we're behind other countries like Italy which have 30% capacity for gigabit speeds Finland 35% Sweden have 77% of their of their residents can access gigabit speeds. Spain has 80% capacity for gigabit speeds. South Korea, 81%. And Singapore, 99%. Now, to put all that in context a little bit, I know it's a kind of a case-by-case basis here, and we're almost, in comparing these different countries, it is almost like comparing apples with oranges because these are countries of varying sizes. Like, Singapore is tiny, Australia is one of the largest continents in the world, big open spaces here. So I understand the proposition here is it's a, total, it's a slightly different proposition to we have here, but just in terms of the sheer percentage of people, so 28% of the population in after a $51 billion spend are the only people who can access the gigabit speeds. And the NBN hasn't yet come up with a plan there's no plans to extend that gigabit capability so some customers are going to be stuck on those lower speeds some homes on the nbn they can't even reach speeds of 25 megabits per second which for some customers was worse than what they had pre-nbn so i think this is a real eye-opener this report uh, in terms of our, of our neighbours across the ditch, across the Tasman, New Zealand will, re- will reach 90% gigabit capacity for homes and businesses in two years. So by 2022, 
they will have 90% gigabit capacity. And again, much smaller population than Australia, but they approach their rollout in a different way. I think they had they were able to connect more fibre because they've got a smaller country and a smaller population. So the, for Australians, we were, were kind of cursed by the size of our country and our population. But other countries around the world with, with larger populations are managing to get this gigabit speed. So like, like countries like South Korea, they've got millions of people more. I think they've got a higher population than Australia, granted in a smaller area. So it's a much denser population. But if you're going by population and percentages, then they're the numbers that you use to you to come up with these averages. So unfortunately, we are behind a little bit in, in terms of our gigabit capacity. But another thing the research showed, and this is from Omdia, this research shows that gigabit pricing, so those that can get gigabit pricing, okay, and there's up to 28% of people can get that, not, not, not saying that everyone has it already, but our pricing, if you do want to go for the gigabit pricing on the NBN, we are the third most expensive of 26 global markets. So the only markets charging more for gigabit access than Australia right now are Norway and Canada. So we are third highest pricing in terms of gigabit access. Now, hopefully you're on the NBN and I do hear, look, I, I, I get a lot of emails from readers and listeners who 99% of them are complaints about the NBN. And there is, on in defence of the NBN, a lot of those complaints I can fix because it's mainly a Wi-Fi issue rather than a, a connection, the, the speed of the internet coming into their home issue. For some, it is that problem. For some, there are issues with the infrastructure. And the, no one said that after 10 years of, of a rollout that, of, that cost $51 billion, no one said it was going to be perfect when it was finished. There's still a lot of work to do. And now this government asset, and that's what it is, an asset that makes money, is... It's kind of like the Harbour Bridge, the Sydney Harbour Bridge, where when they start painting it, they get to the other side. By the time they've got to the other side, they've got to start again. That's that's what's happening with the NBN now. So even though the initial rollout is near completion, like it's a few days away, it'll never be finished because there will always be work to do on it. And times like we've just had with the coronavirus crisis, these restrictions, people working from home, learning from home, that was actually a really good stress test for the NBN, which... Again, in praise of the NBN, it held up. It did a really good job. And having gigabit speeds is great. 100 megabits per second for many people, most people is enough. But knowing you've got that speed up your sleeve, because you never know what we're going to need it for. You cast your mind back 20 years ago, your computer had 40, 40 megabytes of RAM and a 200 megabyte hard drive. At the time, you're thinking that is that is a, what more could I need? <laughs> I remember my first Mac had had that very that very configuration, and you look you look fast forward to to 2020, my phone has more power than than that and more memory and does more. So it, it's it's one thing saying okay, well, will we ever need that? Well, it's good to have it. Because you know, you, we don't know what developments will be requiring in the in the 10, 20, 30 years to come. So I say bring on gigabit speeds. I'll pay for that tomorrow if I can get it here at my place 
absolutely would hand over the credit card instantly to get it. Hopefully, the NBN will be onto it and hopefully improving speeds across the board. I think there'll be a lot of people who'd be happy just to get 100, let alone gigabit, but let's hope that they are still, while the initial rollout is complete, they're still on the job to improve and listen to the customers where these improvements need to be. This is a good starting point. So having this gigabit gap report, I think it's a bit of an eye-opener for a lot of customers. I've had a lot of feedback already from this story. That $4,500 figure per premises is a lot of money, and a lot of people, rightly so, would be expecting a better result than what they've got. But you can read that story, that full report, the gigabit gap report, and all those stats, and even Australia's ranking in terms of our gigabit capability compared to those other countries. And I only mentioned some of those other countries. You can see the full list and that full story at techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec. Now, late, oh no, early last week, Tuesday morning, in fact, very early Tuesday morning, I was up at 3 a.m. to watch the live uh, keynote from the Apple Worldwide Developers Conference. I would normally be at this event, but with the current circumstances, Apple had no other choice but to make it a virtual event, which was still very interesting. The keynote was a, actually a brilliant piece of production. It was it was a, a video prepared. It was it was highly produced and really slick and really uh, did a good job outlining all the new features that we're going to see on iPhone, iPad, Watch OS, as well as the Mac as well. I thought I'd take this opportunity to go through what I felt were the standout features. There's a lot of, I've written a lot of stories about each of the platforms. I'm going to cherry pick the the main features here for iPhone, for watch and for the Mac. But feel free, there's plenty of stories to digest uh, at techguide.com.au if you want to read them. Uh, let's start with the iPhone and iOS 14. This seems, I think, going to be the biggest change for, for, for users is the new home screen. Uh, for for the, the 13 years that we've had iPhones, that grid of apps on the home screen really hasn't changed very much. But with the new version of iOS, uh, the new iOS 14, we're going to see a new home screen that will allow a couple of changes. Number one, they're going to create what they call the app library. So you can actually keep track of the apps you regularly use. It will intelligently categorize these apps for you, by the way. So no work on your part. It'll look at your most popular apps, your most recently installed apps, and will intelligently put them at your fingertips on your home screen. The other thing you'll be able to do is to add widgets to your home screen. Now, I can hear all you Android users screaming at, 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 <laughs> at your device saying, we've had widgets for years, and yes, you're right. Apple has finally come to the party with widgets, which are these little information apps that you can place on the home screen to give you information at a glance. So a good example would be like a weather app. So you can see the weather for the next few hours or few days. Uh, another maybe a news app that gives you the latest news headlines or sports scores or things like that. So plenty of opportunities for you to use the widgets on your home screen. The other thing too um, on iPhone and iOS is a, a new feature called App Clips. Now this is a, a new feature that will allow you to use an app but without installing it. So you're basically getting an instant access to the light version of the app 
but without you having to go into the the app store, download the app, create an account. So in this instance, the best example I can use is, and I did this when I was in San Jose last year or the year before, uh, you see those scooters you can hire? I know that, that they're not very popular here in Australia, but these electric scooters required you to uh, download an app, uh, pay for your, put your credit card details in and, and go from there. Well, with the app clips, you'll be able to just with the NFC, so near-field communications or scanning a QR code, this app clip will open and it'll give you the, the part of the app required to get you started. So you can easily access the features you need, payment, all that right there on the spot rather than having to direct you to the app store, download the full app and go from there. You do have the option of downloading the full app later, but this is a, a terrific shortcut. Plenty of other features too. Another one is how Siri operates on your phone and, and all, also your incoming calls. These are kind of a similar change they've made here. Whenever you, whenever you called Siri on your devices, the whole screen is taken over. So if you're watching something or viewing something, whatever you're doing on your screen, using an app, playing a game, the whole screen blacks out and that's when Siri comes 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 alive for, and asks what you want. Like you tell Siri what you want. With the new iOS 14, Siri is going to be a bit more discreet. So you'll see the, the Siri symbol at the bottom of the screen and it will present the result at the top of the screen that you can then just, just brush away, and but you still be seeing your content. Same thing too when you're getting a phone call, which again will black out your whole screen a more discreet notification will pop down over what you're doing. So you might be watching the footy or playing a game, whatever you happen to be doing. It will discreetly pop down from the top of the screen to give you the choice then of answering the call or dismissing the call. So that, that was interesting. Uh, the, other, the other really cool thing too is digital car keys. Now this is the, the again, your phone taking over another part of your life. Instead of you carrying your car keys car manufacturers and the first one to be involved here is BMW with the five their new five series you can actually use your phone to unlock your car and start your car and it just sits in a cradle and so rather than having your actual key all you need is your iPhone and the beauty of this is that the digital key you can actually share it so if I went over to a mate's house drove my car had a few drinks got an Uber home my car's still at my mate's house the next morning, I can text him or her my digital car key. So they'll be able to accept that, drive my car back to me if they wanted to. Hopefully, they're sober enough to do it. The other thing too, it's really convenient for parents. If a parent wants to, if they give permission to their teenage child to drive the car, they can not only share the key, but also set restrictions. So they might say, this is the maximum volume for the stereo, here's your maximum speed, and all these other things. They, they can, depending on the manufacturer and how their parameters, but it does give them even more control over that as well. So I thought that was really interesting. But it wasn't just iPhone we were talking about. The other, the other big announcement was all around the new Mac operating system. Mac OS, it's going to be called Big Sur. Now this is, and that's spelled Sur is S-U-R, Big Sur. And as, as is tradition in recent years, Apple names the Mac operating system after a Californian landmark. Now we've had 
Mavericks and Yosemite and, and El Capitan. And so this is the latest. I think Catalina was the most recent last year. So Big Sur is the new. And they've actually gone to OS uh, Mac OS 11. All of those previous OSs I mentioned were OS 10 point whatever. I think we were up to 10.15. But this they've tipped into iOS 11 so that that indicates a massive update and it is a big change in terms of look and feel the first reaction I had to this when I saw it during the keynote was that iOS and Mac OS this is there they've they got married and this is the child it looks a lot like iOS acts a lot like iOS yet still maintains a lot of the Mac characteristics I think this is the the closest they've converged these two OS's which is, when you think about it, you've got to remember, this is a developer's conference. So making it, the easier you make it for developers to create product across, or software across all of your platforms, the more they're going to do it. So what, what, what has resulted here with Mac OS Big Sur is that it is it's just a click of a mouse to be able to create an app for Mac OS and iOS and iPad OS for that matter as well, at the same time, so it is really easy to uh, to to create those apps. The other big announcement around Mac two was that they are transitioning to their own silicon. This is a big deal because it's gonna it's gonna present uh, a whole new the a new way for Macs to operate in terms of speed and performance and efficiency. They control their systems end-to-end. So now this is kind of the last piece in the puzzle When if you think about it because Apple already design and create their own hardware. They design and create their own software. The only foreign object in that whole process was the processor because previously they, they were using Intel processors. Well, now it's bye-bye Intel and hello Apple Silicon. So end-to-end literally now is totally created in-house by Apple. And performance-wise, Apple is saying that they'll be able to create even more efficiencies, better more, better power and performance, because the holy grail of, of processors and, and computer chips is offering high performance but low power usage. The higher and faster a, a, a processor performs, the more power it needs. So trying to find that zone has been the holy grail for these like companies like Intel and AMD and now Apple. That's that that's the goal, and Apple believes with these this new silicon that they will be able to achieve that goal. Especially too for you got to remember like an iMac, you don't have to plug that in. You, that's plugged in. You don't have to have a battery that's going to run all day. But if you're using a MacBook Pro or a MacBook Air, this is going to be a critical change to how that's going to look and perform. So having this massive move across will have a significant impact on developers because their software has to be able to be compatible with this new processor. And Apple says, though, for years to come, they're still going to support the Intel-based Macs, which I bought an iMac less than 12 months ago or just on 12 months ago. So I'm not going to be changing that anytime soon, although there was a rumoured new iMac design which didn't materialise, unfortunately. The, the rumour is now it's going to be announced towards the end of the year, around the time of the iPhones announced. But that that will still be supported, and there will still be support for apps that that were that run that were created initially to run on Intel processor Macs. 
that that uh, is still that support still going to go forward for years to come. So don't worry about not having that kind of support there. The other thing, let's talk about uh, Watch OS. Now, I mentioned iPad OS. That's kind of inherited 95% of the iOS 14, uh, the iPhone software update. So no really, no real need to talk about anything majorly different there. But the Watch OS, that's uh, that's an interesting one because they've included a few included a few new features here, including sleep tracking. For the first time, Apple Watch can can track your sleep, basically how long you sleep, not really the quality of your sleep like a Fitbit would. Um, so they can do that, but they've sort of built into that process a new feature called wind down. So if you set a bedtime your phone, iPhone and watch will will get you into wind down mode. It'll suggest it at just before 10 o'clock for you to maybe to, it'll turn off, it'll turn on do not disturb. It'll play, suggest a soothing playlist on Apple Music. If there's any smart devices connected, it'll, it'll give you in, instant access to turn off lights and things like that. So they're not just tracking sleep, but also getting you to that sleep, that wind down phase is also part of it as well. You're also going to be able to share watch faces. If you've if you've developed various uh, complications and patterns, you can share that with your, with your friends. But the other significant thing, and this is again another a big tip, big, big boost for developers, is now they can share more than one complication per app on a single watch face. And by that I mean when when you're configuring your Apple Watch, the little features they're called complications. So you might want the top right hand corner complication to be a little shortcut into one of your favorite apps it might be like your Spotify app or something. Um, before before this this Worldwide Developers Conference, app developers can only have one. They can only users can only use one complication per app. But if you've got a favorite app that has a couple of features you like, you'll now be able to include more than one. So if you've got a favorite app, maybe two or three, it does uh, it does give you that option. Uh, the hand washing detection is another thing from Apple Watch. And from what I've read, Apple was apparently, this was in development before COVID, before the coronavirus restrictions and everyone suddenly washing their hands 50 times a day for 20 seconds. This was, according to what I've read, in development to be part of your Apple Watch anyway. So now when it can detect your hand washing through your hand movement and the sound of running water, it will detect that you're washing your hands and then start a countdown, launch a timer so that you can do your 20-second hand wash. Uh, and then you can even track how many times throughout the day you've washed your hands. So you can actually see, look back on your day and, and see how many times you've washed your hands. Now, all of those software updates, so we have iOS 14, iPadOS 14, uh, Mac OS Big Sur, and Watch OS 7 are all going to be available for public beta from July, uh, and Watch OS in particular, that's uh, and and iPad OS I think too, that's the first time it is available on a public beta. Uh, so if you're an Apple Watch user and an iPhone user and an iPad and a Mac user, you can get into all of these software platforms I've been talking about and try them out before and and contribute to the bug reporting and things like that because the main the main version the gold the golden version the proper version will be released around September so you get uh, we all get a chance to have an early preview of all of those new platforms if you want to read more about them there's about five or six stories there from worldwide developers conference you can check it out at techguide.com.au
Righto, it's that time of year again, the end of the financial year, it's tax time, and this is yet again when those bastard cyber criminals decide to get out in force and try to trick us out of our money to, to sneakily get our information. We've already had a pretty tough year. Cyber criminals came out of the woodwork during the coronavirus crisis and tried to, uh, well, they, and successfully did, unfortunately, uh, to, to run a few scams based on our insecurity about the coronavirus, our curiosity about the coronavirus, job keeper, job, all, all these things from the from the uh, Australian government and, and all these 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 things that you could access. So they were playing on your your fears and your your curiosity about these things. An example was where people, cyber criminals were imitating companies and contacting people who assumed that this contact was from their company and saying, oh, look, we need your details to process your JobKeeper payment. Uh, you know, to send us your details here. We'll, we'll fast track it. A lot of people thinking, oh, yeah, let's go. And unfortunately, they were talking to a cyber criminal, not their actual company, and they were, they were, were all their information was stolen. So there was, uh, th- that, that's an example of how these bludgers, they take advantage of the situation and try to trick you. Same thing here for this this end of the financial year and tax time. It is a time of year where we're we're sharing sensitive private and financial information, and there is it's not unusual to receive text messages or emails that are uh, impersonating like the Australian Tax Office or an accountancy firm. So be very very careful about what we're doing. Now, there was a report prepared by Norton LifeLock. They had a look at the this this whole time of year and the risks involved. Um, there was also another report from the ACCC. And the surprising thing was the group most at risk was Generation Z. So if you're a Gen Zer, that means you're under 25. Now, this group alone lost $5 million dollars in reported scams last year, 2019, and we're not even halfway through 2020, they've also already reported 4.2 million. So we're looking at 2020 being more than double already what was in 2019. So by the end of the year, it'd be double what, what we lost in 2019. So it really poses the question that Gen Zers, 39% of them were the victims of cybercrime in the past compared to just 22% of baby boomers, which is really strange because in my mind, and stats have proven this, that the older users are more likely to believe those phishing emails that are imitating their banks and their the post office and things like that. But that's actually not the case. 39% of Gen Zers were the victims of cybercrime. So despite the appearance of Gen Zers, are, you'd assume that they're pretty tech-savvy, Yet they're not sensible enough to to know or to to have that experience, that wisdom to to not fall victims of these scams. Baby boomers, I think, have got the, their guard up because the the internet is something that they kind of they're at arm's length. Whereas Gen Zers are kind of the internet is their life; they've known nothing different, and that's probably why there's this familiarity and 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 uh, re, this 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 ease of of there's no real fear of it. That's why they're so willing to share information and assume that the, the people they're talking to are real. So it's a real irony there, I think, that, that this is all happening. But Norton LifeLock has offered a lot of a few tips for people to help people uh, spot a scam 
and to stay safe online. This comes from Norton LifeLock cybersecurity expert Mark Gorry, who is a good bloke. I've interviewed him a few times on the show. Uh, he knows his stuff. He's their head cybersecurity guy at Norton LifeLock. Norton is also a sponsor of our, of our podcast, so th- shout out to them. But here are the tips that he offered. Number one, be cautious of emails, SMSs and phone calls claiming to be from the Australian Taxation Office, the ATO. Uh, the ATO is not going to ring you. <laughs> they very rarely do. So you need to file your tax return. They're not going to ring you and SMS you or, or phone you. So be very, or email you, be very, very, very careful. And if you're not sure, if you you think this, the, the validity of this communication is suspect, check with the ACO, ATO, call them. The other tip too is to know your the status of your tax affairs and your accounts. So if you if someone if you get a text message or an email or a call saying, listen, you're due for an eight thousand dollar re- refund on your taxes, you'll think, and where do I sign? That you'll be more than willing to get that kind of cash. But in reality, if you knew your tax situation, you'd probably think, you know what, that's that's not right. I'm not going to get a refund. I've got to pay tax. So knowing your tax situation is a really easy way to dismiss all of these scams. Just like when I get a text, an email claiming to be from the West from Westpac, they want me to update my my files, my information. I can de- immediately delete that because I'm not a Westpac customer. So knowing knowing your tax situation is kind of like that. Like you, you know that it's a scam if they're claiming something that you know not to be true. The other thing, of course, this is a no-brainer. Use security software on your computer. Back up regularly. Make sure your computer is fully patched up. In other words, all the software updated, everything's up to date. Uh, If you're filing taxes online, use a secure Wi-Fi connection. So don't be in a cafe and and send your your tax file in, your tax return in, because there has been, if you are on a free Wi-Fi network, there are being known to be cases of snooping, whereas a hacker could be on the same network as you and can be seeing everything you're doing. So either use a secure Wi-Fi connection or a VPN as well. And also secure print materials. Be careful not to throw out bank statements and like shred your bank statements. Don't, don't sort of have this stuff that can be used against you. So if you throw out your bank statement, it's going to have a lot of information about where your bank, how much money you got in your account, all this information could come back and haunt you. So don't be doing that. Shred everything. Anything with my address on it, anything that's got anything to do with my financial situation, my bank accounts, my bank statements are all shredded. Well, I often don't get the printed statements. Uh, so for those who still do, shred those things. Don't let them. Don't let anyone else see them because uh, they can come back to bite you. Those tips are from Norton LifeLock cybersecurity expert Mark Gorry. And just be vigilant out there. And not just during tax time. We've really got to stay alert here because it is not uncommon for these to occur. We've seen it already during the year. They take advantage of the coronavirus. Now they're taking advantage of tax time. These are opportunistic bastards. You've got to be very, very careful. If you want to read more about that story, you can check it out at techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly supported by our friends at Norton. They're the company that can keep you and your family safe online. Now, we live in a world where we're constantly connected. There are cyber attacks and 
phishing scams, ransomware. We just spoke about it. Online predators, big data tracking our every move. So we need to protect ourselves. These cyber threats have evolved, which is why Norton has as well. The new Norton 360 gives you next level protection, combining the power of device security with a secure VPN to help keep you and your family safe and private online. The new Norton 360 is all-in-one protection for your devices and online privacy. It's available now at leading retailers or au.norton.com. And now, a Tech Guide review with Stephen Fennec. First up on our reviews, I thought we'd uh, have a look at the new Sony WH-CH710N wireless noise-cancelling headphones. A lot of choices when you're looking at noise-cancelling headphones, and these are kind of your mid-range noise-cancelling headphones. They do have, of course, their top of the range, which is the WH-1000XM3, which we've spoken about on the show, and that is kind of your top of the line. So they've got good, better, best. This is the better of the good, better, best, the WH-CH710N. Bit of a mouthful, but you know what? These are really nice headphones. Now, these are noise-cancelling headphones, and they, of course, include Sony's typical audio quality and have impressive noise-cancelling features. But what really impressed me, it's got 35 hours of battery life. That's a whole week of use. If you're using these in the morning or in, or in the evening commuting, or that, that's, that's a whole week you can go, out, go around without charging these things. That's really handy. So right off the bat, really impressed with the battery life. Lasts for days. Now, on the design side, these are pretty light. They're, they're only 223 grams, which for a pair of headphones, that's important. You know what? These things weighing you down, they're so light, you'll forget they're on your head at all. And what keeps them light, though, is that they're made of plastic. And this is going to sound really weird, but they also feel plasticky as well. So in terms of that sort of solid build quality, you, you probably this is probably its weakest point here where they do feel a bit plastic in your hands. They are still very light. They still sound great. That was just one thing that I felt in my hand. I'm thinking, you know what? It, it is the, compared to other headphones in this class and the headphones above these, so the thousand XM3s. These feel a little bit inferior in terms of that the, the feel of them. They, they are made of plastic, and you, you can really tell they're made of plastic. But you know what? Like I said, doesn't affect audio quality, and Although I thought at the price, these are $349, I thought we'd be getting maybe a little bit better. But there's still a metal slider that adjusts for your head size, including our big head. Uh, swiveled on Swivels on the ear cup so you get a comfortable fit. They also fold flat as well. So when we can travel again, you can pack these away. So again, big tick. They do feel a bit plasticky. Not a deal breaker though. Still sound very good. The ear cups are slim, rounded. All the controls are right there. Power button, USB charging port, audio cable on the left. Navigation, volume, noise cancellation controls on the right. Really easy to find. It will take you two minutes to accustom yourself to the layout, and it's, it's really intuitive how you can control everything without having to touch your device. You connect wirelessly via Bluetooth, of course, and what I like about it too, you hear a very clear status every time you put them on. So when the, when the tone says powered on, and if you're pairing, it says pairing, when it's connected, it'll tell you that. And also when you're powering down, it really clearly announces everything you're doing. Now, on the audio side, you are not going to be disappointed. These nice, large sound, really 
I'm almost perfect bass. I really like the bass levels of these headphones. So I think that's going to appeal to all ages. I always I'm of the theory that if it's a bass heavy sound like your Beats sort of style headphones, that's going to appeal to more a more younger audience whereas sort of more subtle sort of nuanced bass like say Bose, that's going to appeal to an older user. This, though, is it's like the Goldilocks base. It's just right, and I think this will appeal to people of all ages. So well done on the base level there. does lack a bit of clarity. It does, while you're getting great volume and good base, just that, that clarity is sort of missing. That's, that's kind of the difference. If, if you want to spend another $70, you'll be able to get the, the 1,000 XM3s, which have remarkable clarity and are kind of up there with uh, with the, the best of the other brands that you can see there or hear, I should say. So a little bit of lacking in the clarity side, but you know what? Again, not a deal breaker. They sound fantastic. That bass had me at hello. That was a really nice bass level. Uh, and really enjoyed that. Noise cancellation holds its own. We've heard better noise cancellation, of course, but you know we paid this $400, $300 more to get that kind of level of noise cancellation. So still pretty respectable. Good that you can switch off the outside world. You can uh, have you can turn it you can turn it off actually at will, so you can hear the outside world. So this ambient mode, you can still hear what's going on around you, which helps if you're say in an airport when we are flying again. You can hear your announcements or in the gym, or so you can hear people around you or traffic around you. If you're walking on a busy street, always a good idea to be able to hear the traffic and other outside noise. So that does give you full control. When there is noise cancellation, though, cancelling has been activated. It does use AI and adjust the level of noise cancellation to suit your surroundings, which I thought was a lovely touch as well. So if, for example, you're on a noisy train or a train platform, noise cancellation would be ramped up. If you're in a home, if you're at home or in your office, it'll bring it down to handle that level as well. So it's when it needs to do a lot of cancelling, it does. But when it doesn't, it it, it, it gives you that proper level so it does sort of make those decisions for you so it's not a one-size-fits-all noise cancellation it's intelligent now that battery i spoke about 35 hours when when you are traveling again you can wear this on your the longest flight to london or wherever you're going no worry about running out of uh, out of battery and if you do it does come with an audio cable so you can connect directly to your device, or if you're on an aircraft, connect directly to the entertainment system again when we're back flying. Remember that flying on planes, going to other countries? That was that was amazing. Can't wait to do that again. The other feature too with the battery, if you plug it in for 10 minutes, you'll get 60 minutes of playback. So if you've forgotten to charge the night before, no worries, you'd be right to uh, 10 minutes charge, 60 minutes of playback. The Sony WH-CH710 wireless noise cancelling headphones, available now, they're in white, blue or black, $349. And if you want to read our full review, you can check it out at techguide.com.au. Next up, we're talking about an actually an Australian product. We're talking about the Space Talk Life. This is a wearable smartphone watch designed just for seniors. It's created by an Australian company, MGM Wireless. They created a Space Talk a few years ago for kids. They've taken that technology and created a version for seniors. So the difference here is that the basics are the same. It tells the time, can make and receive calls. It's a 4G smartphone built in. Also has GPS on board. 
But with the Seniors version, there are additional features like an SOS alert button. There's GPS, a safety callback feature as well, location by request, and of course, voice calls, SMS. There's even a step counter, so you can make sure you're getting your steps in for each day. There's also Bluetooth on board, so you can actually pair to assistive hearing devices. Have you got a hearing aid you, you, and it's got Bluetooth? You can pair it directly to the Space Talk Life Watch and receive your calls through your hearing aid. It's also an IP67 rating, which means it's water and dust resistant. The other feature too, it can also provide medical reminders. So it might say, listen, Steve, you need to take your pills. It's one o'clock. Uh, it can do that for you as well. Uh, so here's a product that for the user who, rather than putting them in a, in a, a aged care home or, or engaging those sorts of service, it can still allow that person to live in their own home, provides them with a sense of safety and independence, but loved ones can still keep track of them as well. Now, does the Australian government spent $19.9 billion in 2018-19 providing aged care to more than 1.3 million people. So here's a device that a lot of uh, older users may want to stay home. They don't want to go into aged care, but here's a device that will allow them to have that independence, but also you can have peace of mind. If you may be their child or a friend, you can keep an eye on them through the Space Talk Life device. It has a nano SIM, so it's good for calls, text, and data. Uh, there is also, you need to create a, a subscription to All My Tribe. That's $9.99 a month. And what that does, it allows users to establish safe zones, view location history, manage contacts. So good for a carer to keep an eye on where they're going, what they're doing. The SOS alert button can be programmed to dial trusted contacts as well as the emergency services if they've had a fall or they're lost or something like that. Uh, and if the user's unable to answer the safety, uh, unable to answer the call, the safety callback feature comes into action and, and initiates a return call automatically. So if you're marked as a trusted contact and no one's answering, the, the device will initiate a callback. So it'll ring you back. So that way you can hear where they are, talk to them if, if, you, if you have to. The also, there's another feature that I mentioned, location by request, which allows you the, the user to provide their location while still maintaining their privacy. So these are little features built in that can really make this a valuable device for an older user. Now it's $499, that's the pre-order price. Uh, after that, it's gonna be priced at $549. But I've had a lot of interest. I spoke about this on the radio on the weekend on 2GB. Tune in uh, on Monday nights, Wednesday afternoons, and Sunday mornings. They're my 2GB tech segments. You, uh, I did speak about this on the Sunday morning on Chris Smith's show. And a lot of people were really interested in getting more information and hearing about it. And I directed them, of course, to our story at techguide.com.au. And I will do make that same recommendation for you. If you want to know more about the Space Talk Life, check it out at techguide.com.au. I get asked a lot for people wanting to play whatever's on their laptop or their mobile phone or their tablet onto their TV 
And yeah, you can buy a Chromecast and do all things like that. But there is a product that if you've got a physical cable, uh, really makes it easier. So no need to pair it, create a network, a link to a network. This is a device that allows you to, uh, to connect directly. It's the Moshi. USB-C to HDMI adapter. It's a tiny little thing, fits in the palm of your hand. It is. It has a USB-C connection, so it needs to be a USB-C product like a phone, tablet, or a laptop. And then on the back of it is another USB-C port and a HDMI port. So now you can connect your tablet, replicate the screen on TV, so you might want to play Netflix, Disney+, Plus, whatever you want to stream. It supports 4K video at 60 hertz as well as HDR, high dynamic range. So uh, an example is I connected my iPad Pro to my Samsung 4K TV and decided to watch an episode on Apple TV of the show Defending Jacob. Now my iPad screen is pretty good, but it's not 4K. So what I was able to do was through the connection of the Moshi adapter, I was able to pass that through to the TV and the, the signal, that the stream that was sent to the TV was actually the 4K stream because it was capable of displaying that, that uh, resolution. And through the iPad Pro, I was able to watch 4K of the 4K resolution of that show on my 4K TV. And it's 60, 60 hertz. And if it's HDR involved, it gives me HDR as well. So HDR, HDMI cable to the, to the adapter to the TV and the, the, the device is connected to your device's USB-C port. Now, I know it takes up a USB-C port, but it gives you one back, and that port can be used to charge your device. So if your iPad's running low, or your phone or your laptop, you can charge you, connect your charger, and the pass-through, you'll still get the, the charge, as well as being able to stream your content to your television. Works with laptops, works with, works with smartphones. In particular, Samsung and Hisense, they have these modes. Samsung has the DeX mode. Huawei has the PC mode. So it basically turns your TV into a computer, puts it up on your screen, and it doesn't just replicate the screen. It actually acts like a desktop computer. If you're using a tablet or a laptop, you can. laptop gives you the ability to extend your desktop and mirror your desktop. Your iPad tablet, though, will only mirror what you're doing. Uh, it's, it's, I haven't found a way, no one's found a way, I don't think this is a feature that Apple offers, of using an external device as a second screen on your iPad. You basically, best you can do is replicate what's on your iPad. But if you're playing Netflix on your iPad or Apple TV, whatever it is, and it's connected to a larger screen, the iPad knows it, and on the screen it will display program playing on the large, on the Samsung screen, whatever screen it is there. So it does acknowledge the fact that it's connected to another device and thereby offering that higher quality if it's available to, to suit that other connected display. The Moshi USB-C to HDMI adapter, really handy little product. And I mean little, it's tiny. It fits in the palm of your hand. It's worth 89 bucks, but if you are able to put up all that content on your TV, I think worth every dollar. The Moshi USB-C to HDMI adapter, you want to read our complete story, check it out at techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly supported by Netgear. They're Australia's number one Wi-Fi brand. Now, does your Wi-Fi buffer while you're streaming? Does connecting new devices slow everything down? Can you handle gaming and video calls? 
What about large file transfers? And God help you if you do that all at once. What happens then? Well, it doesn't matter how fast your internet connection is if your Wi-Fi router is old and outdated. The Nighthawk Wi-Fi 6 from Netgear will make your Wi-Fi feel brand new again. Wi-Fi 6 is the latest technology that allows more devices to connect and stream simultaneously without impacting speed or reliability. The results deliver the fastest Wi-Fi for all your devices in your home. You can stream in 4K, HD, even 8K without buffering, eliminate lag while gaming, and connect more devices to your Wi-Fi than ever before. Orbi Wi-Fi 6 is like upgrading your Wi-Fi to first class. If you're ready to to experience Netgear's best Wi-Fi ever, check it out. The Nighthawk Wi-Fi 6 at netgear.com.au forward slash Wi-Fi 6. That's netgear.com slash Wi-Fi and the number 6. And now, answering all your tech questions, the Tech Guide Help Desk. A couple of quick ones on the Tech Guide Help Desk. Uh, one is I did get a, a nice email from a reader who was asking about uh, GPS tracking for their pets. Uh, and they did acknowledge the fact that I do have two Dalmatians. In particular, this reader was talking about having a, a lost a chihuahua. And through the fact that they had their phone number on the Chihuahua's collar, they got a call back to to come and collect him and all is well. But they did ask if about GPS tracking, uh, what is what are the options, and how how would that would work? Well, there's a couple of options, and yes, there is live GPS tracking. You can attach this device to your pet, their collar. And it does offer real-time GPS tracking, but that requires two things, not only the device, but two other things. It requires a SIM card, and it also requires an account. So you're paying for the SIM and for this monthly account for the luxury of being able to track your pet wherever they happen to be. Now, for the once in a year that they might get out out of your house, that if that's what the peace of mind that you want and you're willing to pay for it, then good as gold. But there are other options. And the option I'm mentioning is the the tile type product, Bluetooth product that can create a notification if the person or object with the tile attached to it leaves your property. That's probably the best option here where for that rare time where your pet's going to maybe get out of your property, knowing when that happens and getting that notification is probably all you need. So being able to track them in real time, 24-7, 365 days a year, uh, might not be necessary. So there is that option. If you definitely want that, it is there. It costs more, and it's going to cost more per month. But the the tile option is also possible to get those notifications if the 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 pet actually gets outside the geo fence that you can set in your home. Uh, the other quick one I received there was a uh, a daughter I think was responding on behalf of their 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 father who could no longer use their Adobe products to create scorecards for the local golf club. Uh, they said, what's it? What's an easier, cheaper solution? Uh, the solution would be use Microsoft Word. You can do a lot with Microsoft Word, especially creating grids and, and templates for scorecards. You probably download a, a Word template for what, what can be fashioned into a scorecard. So uh, Word, pretty much, pretty easy to access and a lot cheaper than Adobe Photoshop and Illustrate, all those other products. So uh, Word is the word, I think, right there. So, yeah, no, you don't need the... Adobe, go for the word that can help you get the job done.
And that's it. Full time for this week's show. Hope you enjoyed it. Everything we've spoken about on the show you can find at techguide.com.au. And please get in touch with us. Send us an email, info at techguide.com.au. Or you can click on my face on the right-hand side of the Tech Guide homepage, the Ask Stephen, uh, which is uh, our help desk, is, I, I should say, was brought to you by Belkin. You can see the Belkin logo there. So click on Ask Stephen and the Belkin logo, and that'll take you through to uh, a little email form you can send me, and I'll get right back to you. And you never know, you could end up on the Tech Guide help desk. We want to give a special shout-out, too, to our sponsors, Netgear, the brand you can trust for all your Wi-Fi needs, and also Norton, the company that can keep you and your family safe online, more important than ever. Please support the brands that support us. Thanks again for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week. So until then, stay safe and stay connected. <laughs>